around God's Word. Uh, and it's really good that we have this kind of next 20 or so minutes to consider what God has for us this morning. Um, and it's good that it comes now because maybe you're feeling a little bit sad. Uh, the Olympics are kind of really coming to an end today. Uh, and it has been a good two weeks, hasn't it? Uh, it's been a nice little break uh, from the monotony of a lockdown. Um, I reckon there's been heaps of great moments. Uh, the Boomers getting a bronze last night was wonderful. Nicola McDermott with a silver uh, was just kind of special. But I reckon maybe for a lot of us, one of the favourite moments uh, was seeing Emma McEwen break the Australian record for the most Olympic medals held. Uh, she now holds a total of 11 medals, uh, eclipsing the legends like Ian Thorpe and Liesl Jones. And boy, did they like telling us that on the Seven coverage. Uh, but she has now entered an elite and honoured group of Aussies. And I kind of wonder, what did it take her to enter this group, this honoured and privileged group? Well, I'm sure it took determination. Uh, to, be, to be an elite swimmer uh, requires devotion, training every day, maybe training twice a day, uh, in the pool, in the gym, watching your nutrition, uh, getting the right coach and listening to them. It takes physical and mental devotion. Uh, but I, I suspect it also takes a fair bit of natural talent. Uh, not everyone is going to be an Olympic champion. Train as hard as you like. Without some degree of natural ability, you won't be an Olympian, uh, let alone an 11-time medalist. To enter this honoured group requires hard work and, a, and some natural talent. And it's really like that with many privileged and honoured groups. It might not always be working hard, but so often in our privileged groups, uh, you need to give to get in. But what about the most privileged group of people in the entire world? Uh, what about being part of God's kingdom? Uh, how does one gain access to that? And I reckon that is one of the big questions of John 3, because so far in John, Jesus Christ has burst onto the scene and he has made some really big claims. In chapter 1, he said, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man himself, Jesus. And you know, I get it, it's a bit of a, it's a strange image, isn't it? But imagine the blessings of heaven being stored up like a dam. Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, the dam is broken open and all the blessings of heaven are found in me. That's a huge claim. In chapter 2 last week, you might remember Jesus turned water into wine. And as he was doing that, he was making this huge claim that he is God's king, who is bringing in a new age, a good age, an excellent kingdom. And so the question is, how do you access the blessings of heaven and how do you gain entrance to this kingdom? For the Jewish people they would have thought it was through their special temple. But again, remember last week, Jesus trashed the temple. So how do you gain access? In this light, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to see Jesus at night. And it would seem that Nicodemus, he has all the qualifications needed to be part of God's kingdom. He is a religious man. He has seen Jesus perform signs. And he has knowledge uh, he is a member of the Jewish ruling council. Later, Jesus will call him the teacher of Israel. I mean, he's got it all. If anyone, Nicodemus should not just get access, 
but VIP access to the kingdom of God. But as Nicodemus approaches Jesus, we have good reason to doubt this conversation will go might, as, he, as he might like. I look at how chapter 2 ends, if you've got your Bible open, it also come up on the screen. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. See, Nicodemus, he might look great on the outside, but it seems Jesus uh, cares more for his inside. If this is true, then access into God's kingdom has to be God's work. And that's the first point for today. Access into God's kingdom is God's work. So you can kind of imagine the scene. Uh, There's the the flickering of flaming torches. There's the cool light of the moon. Uh, The busy city of Jerusalem is quieting down. But as darkness closes in, Nicodemus comes out. Uh, And maybe he comes out at night because he doesn't necessarily want to be seen with Jesus. Maybe there's a deeper metaphor. Nicodemus is in the dark. He doesn't truly know who Jesus Christ is. With his kind of earthly observation skills, he can tell Jesus is a teacher. He calls him rabbi. He can tell that Jesus is someone special uh, because God has performed signs like Moses or a prophet. But Nicodemus is missing something. He needs more than observations to see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To be born is something uh, that you cannot do yourself. Uh, Being born is something that happens to you. Uh, Jesus is making this huge claim to this qualified teacher. To see the kingdom, it's not about you. It's not about your achievements. Something must happen to you. Nicodemus, he still is thinking in earthly ways and so he replies in verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. See, Nicodemus hears birth and he thinks earth. But when Jesus says birth, he means spiritual. He means you need to be born from above. Verse 5, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. And Jesus is surprised, in verse 7, that Nicodemus does not know this. Because the problem with God's people has always been about their hearts. They've always needed God to work. They've always needed a spiritual rebirth. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet, a messenger from God, called Ezekiel. When he spoke, God's people were not a very desirable bunch. Rather than revealing God's splendor, his glory in their actions, they dirtied their land with corrupt actions and lifestyles. And and they were in deep. They could not save themselves, they could not make themselves clean, and really, they didn't want to. And so God said through Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, uh, 24 to 27, And as I read this, just notice how many times you hear God at work. God says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone 
and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Uh, Ezekiel may as well have said, you need to be born of water and spirit. Ezekiel, like Jesus, makes it clear that God must be at work in his people. God is the one who gives birth. Access into God's kingdom is God's work. He is the one in charge. Yeah, sometimes I think, well, I can speak for myself, but I think others might be included. Sometimes we think that we're the ones in charge. Uh, we think we can argue someone into the kingdom of God. You know, we can use the best apologetic strategies and someone will just be convinced and they'll put their trust in Jesus just like that. Or maybe we think if our community is super loving and people are connected in, then unbelievers, they'll be saved. Or sometimes we think, I know I do, if I just get the right disciplines, you know, praying and reading the Bible uh, for my children, if they enjoy kids' church and kids' club and youth group, well, if they, then they'll be safe on the day of judgment. Now, all these things, super helpful, very important, uh, but they do put an emphasis on our work and not God's work. And so this week, I've been praying a newish kind of prayer that I haven't prayed for a while, but it's pretty simple. Please, God, give new birth. Give new birth to my children, to my friends. Please, may they be born from above. And then after praying, I still employ the same strategies. You know, I read good books on why it's good and reliable to trust in God. I still seek to make contacts and I still talk with my kids about Jesus. Because while access into God's kingdom is God's work, humans must respond. And that's the second thing for today. Access into God's kingdom requires belief in God's Son. Well, I wonder, have you ever been in an argument and with someone, and as you start your argument, you have quite a lot to say. You know, you ramble on for a few minutes with all your points, but then your opponent replies with a very compelling argument. And so your next reply is just a little shorter. And then your rival replies with even greater logic and clarity. And so your final response is, well, very short indeed. I think this is kind of what happens with Nicodemus. Gradually, his responses to Jesus have got shorter and shorter, until in verse 9 he says, how can these things be? And Nicodemus finds what Jesus has said a little hard to believe. But in this section, verse 9 to 17, the theme of belief is large. We learn belief in Jesus Christ. We learn that belief in Jesus Christ and his words make sense. In verse 11, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you do not accept our testimony. Now, it's funny that verse, isn't it? Why does Jesus say we and our and not I and my? I mean, I, I kind of got the impression that this conversation was between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, it might be the disciples kind of hanging in the background and so the we is referring to Jesus and his disciples. But more likely, he's referring to himself and God the Father. Later in chapter 14, Jesus says, the words he speaks are not his own. 
but belong to the Father who sent him. As the one who is from God and is with God, his words are God's words. Belief in Jesus' words makes sense because they are God's words. Plus, Jesus is uniquely qualified to speak of heavenly things. See, if I want to know about cars, or I might go and speak to a mechanic, or maybe Andy Nobbs. If I want to know about bikes, I might speak to Marty Thomas, uh, Philip Finnegan, uh, Warwick Overton. Actually, that list is pretty long. I might stop there. Uh, if I want to know about football, uh, I'd probably talk to Tuller, or I'd talk to Allard, or Ian Bucknell. If I want to know about crocheting, I kind of taken up. I'd probably talk to Sarah Yem or, or Kristen. If I want to talk about Survivor, well, there's quite a few Survivor export experts, and so I won't go there. But see, if you want to know something, you go to a qualified person, uh, someone with knowledge. If I want to know about heavenly things, I go to Jesus Christ. Uh, just like our kids talk, taught us. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. See, Jesus Christ is uniquely qualified to tell Nicodemus things of heaven because he is from heaven, sent from heaven. Belief in Jesus' words about heavenly things, it really does make sense. It's reasonable to listen to him because he speaks God's word and he is from heaven. And it's reasonable to believe that belief in him will give eternal life, will give access into God's kingdom. Because this is how God has acted in the past. Verse 14 refers to one of these events. Uh, there was a time when God's people spoke against God, they sinned, and as a result, God judged them or punished them. Uh, God sent snakes, and that's kind of a strange story, I know, God sent snakes among them, and many people died. Eventually, God's people confessed their sin and they turned to Moses, their leader, and they cried out for help. And so then Moses, Moses prayed to God and God then said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who looks to the snake uh, and who is bitten can look at it and live. And that's just what happened. Uh, Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. But I kind of wonder whether just saying the snake was put on a pole, it's just a little bit too tame, you know, too PG. Putting things on a pole was really a form of execution. And so maybe it's more like, uh, take a snake and impale it on a pole. Take a snake and execute it on a pole. And then as people looked at this snake, this form of judgment impaled, destroyed, they were saved from death and given life. And now Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up, not impaled on a pole, but hung on a cross. And when he's lifted up, he will take the judgment his people deserve for their sin. This is why God gave his one and only Son. You know, in an extended lockdown, nothing really seems that good. Well, that's how I feel. Everything, well, it's like doing life with all the fun taken out of it, is how I've heard it described recently. 
And I think this attitude of nothing being that good can actually slip into how we view God. Maybe He's not all that good. Maybe He's not all that loving. I mean, because after all, He hasn't made COVID-19 stop and He hasn't made life on this earth much easier. But for God so loved the world, in this way God loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. He gave His one and only Son not to have a good time and party on with His friends, but to be rejected, humiliated and destroyed. He gave His one and only Son for you, for God's people, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Belief in the Son and what He has done on the cross is not only reasonable, but it is necessary. It's a life or death decision. Believe, be saved and have eternal life. Don't believe and Jesus says, you already stand condemned and you'll be outside God's kingdom forever. Do you want to gain access to the kingdom of God? Do you want to live with we live forever with Jesus as your forever King, who unlocks the blessings of heaven. Do you want to gain access to eternal life where excellent banquets with good wine is just the tip of the iceberg? Do you want to be part of the most privileged group of people in the world? People who are loved and known by God. Ask God to give new birth. Believe in the Son and what he has done on the cross. And lastly, leave your love of darkness. Leave your love of darkness. You know, I often think Jesus is so good uh, and so excellent and so, you know, great in what he does and what he teaches that I kind of struggle to understand why people don't believe. Why don't people want to gain access to the most privileged group of people in the world? And I think verse 19 to 20 gives part of the answer. This is the verdict, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. God loved the world. It was an amazing love. It was a love that was not hidden, but it was a love that was seen vividly in the cross. But people's love for darkness can even eclipse seeing and believing God's love. See, I often think that people don't truly believe because they don't truly understand. Or maybe they've misheard what Christians believe or they have really strong objections. Actually, there's just heaps of reasons. But we must not forget the moral component. God says people don't believe because they love darkness. Coming into the light coming before God means admitting some hard truth about yourself. People don't want their sin exposed. People don't want to change their ways. People, me included, know how tempting the darkness is. So sure, people might not believe because of particular objections, but lurking behind this is a moral component. 
maybe not really lurking behind it, but infusing it all is a love for darkness. And this takes us full circle. This is why we need to be born again. This is why we need to be born from above. Nothing short of God working in our lives will free us from this darkness. You know, NCA Church, I reckon it would be pretty cool to win a gold medal. It would be cool to be loved, not just by your family and friends, but by a whole nation. It'd be cool to know that you've kind of achieved something. But believe it or not, being part of God's kingdom is better. And not only because it is forever, and not only because it's available for all people, but because being in the kingdom is where Jesus is. And he's just too good. So why not be part of this great kingdom? Why not pray for yourself and your family and your friends? Ask God to work and give you new birth. Why not believe in the sun and leave your darkness and be part of the greatest kingdom the world has ever seen? I'm going to pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are really, really good. Uh, You sent your son Jesus uh, so that we could know you. Uh, And you you sent your son Jesus so that you could do the work of saving us. And so please, please give us new birth. Uh, Please work in our lives. And please uh, give us belief in the son and help us leave our darkness. Please help us rejoice and love being part of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going.